chapter 3 of A History of England. I'm David Beeson. This chapter is called A Bit of a Mess, and it's about what happened under Henry VIII's successor, his only legitimate son, Edward VI. You may think things were bad enough under Henry, but take it from me, they got considerably worse over the next two reigns. Edward was England's first truly Protestant monarch. As he was only nine when he came to the throne, he had a regency council to do the ruling for him and in his name. It was headed by the Duke of Somerset, Edward Seymour, brother to Jane Seymour, Edward's late mother, and therefore his uncle. The Duke turned out to be good at getting into power, but pretty hopeless at actually running the show once he was in charge. Good at getting into office, but not a lot of use at actually doing any governing. You may recognise these traits in some of your favourite, or perhaps not so favourite, politicians today. Protestantism, as you know, is a current within Christianity. That's a religion based on principles such as loving one's neighbour and leading a simple life. So, as you'd expect, England's fine new Protestant rulers set about promoting their religion by bullying a lot of people, in some cases terminally, breaking a lot of things and stealing as much money as they could get their hands on. Henry VIII hadn't left much in the way of pickings in the religious institutions, but there were still some. Edward's Regency Council went after the chantries. These were places where monks would pray for the dead on behalf of anybody prepared to pay their fees. You might think of that as preying on people who were prepared to pay for your praying. Henry had dissolved most of the chantries along with the monasteries, but there were a few left. Going after the institutions in this way was pretty good work if you could get it, because the Protestants could convince themselves that they weren't just nicking a lot of money, they were also doing God's work. That sounds pretty much like win-win, though I expect the monks in the chantries wouldn't agree. Closing a few chantries may well have been a fine act of Protestant charity, but if they really wanted to prove their fervour, they needed to do a bit of vandalism too. They set about removing all traces of Catholicism from the churches, so if you visit an English church today and find a headless statue of the Virgin Mary in it, it's probably a safe bet to assume that she was decapitated by Protestant zealots nearly five centuries ago. The aim, of course, was to prove that the Protestants had far more fully understood the gospel of love than their Catholic rivals had. The Regency Council also moved ahead with a great work begun under Henry of purifying the country of Catholic thought. So they too did a bit of book burning. The University of Oxford, for instance, had only owned about 20 books until the time of Prince Humphrey. He was a brother of Henry V's. That was the king who won the victory at Agincourt, which has been so much celebrated in England, not least by Shakespeare. Humphrey had served alongside his brother at that battle, but he was also something of a thinker and had set about making a collection of books. Eventually he owned about 200 of them, which is pretty impressive at a time before printing when all books had to be written out by hand. He gave them all to Oxford University and they somehow survived the destruction of the libraries under Thomas Cromwell. Today only about four remain, and you'll probably have guessed it, the rest were destroyed by the Protestant zealots of Edward VI's time. 
I expect they believe that they were pursuing enlightenment and probably belong to that school of thought still alive in some places today, which is convinced that nothing casts as much light as setting fire to a pile of books. Just like Henry, this lot wasted the money they got from the Chantries by fighting wars with France and Scotland. That eventually brought the Duke of Somerset down. As was traditional in his day, being brought down meant that Somerset had a short, sharp appointment with an axeman. Since Somerset had previously organised a similar appointment for his own brother, more of that in a later chapter, I suppose his fate has a certain ironic appropriateness about it. At any rate, it demonstrates that if getting to power was hard, hanging on to it was harder still, and the stakes were very high. All of that, bar the involvement of an axeman, remains as true today. Somerset's successor as Lord Protector was the Duke of Northumberland. He did indeed bring an end to the wars with Scotland and France, but unfortunately for him, that only won him a reputation as a weakling. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. What made it worse for him is that, to secure peace, he had to give up one of England's last two possessions in France, the port of Boulogne. This meant that England, once a power in France, was now reduced to holding just the port of Calais. Personally, I've always preferred Boulogne to Calais, but I suppose if you've just been beaten in a war, you don't get to choose which bits of the enemy's territory you can hold on to. Northumberland also made a bit of a mess of the economy, leading to growing discontent across the country. An economy mismanaged, a war ended on unsatisfactory terms, and the whole leading to popular disturbances. I wonder how much of that is entirely unfamiliar to you. Poor Edward never managed to rule in his own name, as he died at 15. When he fell ill, he decided, with a little help from his council, to name a cousin of his, Lady Jane Grey, as his successor in defiance of his father's will. That might have been a smart move by the Lord Protector's faction to hang on to power after Edward's death. It would also have been a way for Protestants to avoid the crown going to a Catholic, Edward's half-sister Mary. That would all have been very clever and effective had it worked at all, but unfortunately for the plotters it didn't. Lady Jane Grey lasted just nine days after Edward's death. Mary then mounted the throne and sent Lady Jane to a brief meeting with the executioner. I'm sure that having listened to this much of A History of England, you would have expected no less. The execution of Lady Jane was, in any case, an apt way to start the reign of Mary I, who came to be known as Bloody Mary. We'll be hearing more about her in the next episode. I hope you enjoyed this one.